It was interesting because it exposed the trailer industry because there was a lot of kind of discourse of like what crazy trailer editor is pulling out, you know, 90s jams on their iTunes. Hi, welcome to The Cutdown, a podcast all about the art of trailer editing. This is episode number three. I'm Derek Liu. And I'm Rick Thomas. And we have officially launched this podcast, which right now, if you're listening to this, we launched with three episodes. The first two we actually recorded quite a while ago. I was just telling Rick that uh, my Skype said that the last time we talked on Skype was 10 months ago. So we're going to talk about some fresh stuff this time, some more or less current trailers. Are you saying the Welcome to Marwin trailer that we talked about last time isn't current now? No, it's not anymore. I feel like, yeah, that has been and gone. I think there was actually another trailer that came after that uh, Marwin trailer. There's like three of them total. You know, it was interesting. The uh, Golden Trader Awards are next week, which are a big kind of industry event um, with awards for best action, best comedy, kind of uh, big best blockbuster summer 29 and the welcome to marwin trader is nominated for the golden fleece award and the golden fleece award is basically the best trader for a bad movie right it sounds like it's a dubious honor but it's kind of like you did a great job yes you fle- you fleeced the audience or uh, yeah but i mean i'm not sure that that is necessarily the case with uh, welcome to marwin i haven't i haven't seen it uh, and there's definitely some controversial things i think last year the trader for the meg was nominated for golden fleece before the film had even come out so people said oh right so uh, maybe the film's not great but i think it's all kind of done in the best taste and people are saying you know they're not necessarily bad movies but they're kind of trashy kind of blockbustery although actually there is an award for trashiest trader as well I mean, if it's not just something that looks like a B-movie, I think it's usually like, this movie did not review well. But basically that night is an excuse for everyone in the trader business to go out and um, network and uh, get drunk. It's always a fun show as well. Like They get celebrities out and stuff and everyone feels important. If they can get away from their, uh, if they can get away from their edit bays. So we thought for our topic today, we were going to talk about trailer trends, which is a really big topic, but it's just kind of something that's been on our mind. And a lot of people talk about trailer trends all the time because they're a thing. And they've kind of been a thing for a really long time. But first, we'll talk about some current trailers just to get some thoughts down. Yeah, I'm glad that we're going live because there's been some really great pieces over the last couple of weeks Um, in light of talking about spoilers in our last episode, the uh, Spider-Man on holiday, what is it? <laughs> Spider-Man on vacation, what was it? Spider-Man <laughs> Far From Home oh, yeah. trailer came out. Uh, and it came out, I think, a couple of days or a week after um, Endgame came out. And there was a bumper on the front with Tom Holland. The Spider-Man Far From Home trailer is about to play, but if you haven't seen Avengers Endgame yet, stop watching because there's some serious spoilers about to come up. And obviously, if you see that trailer, you know pretty quickly that there's a reason that you shouldn't do that. But I thought that was interesting in light of how we talked about spoilers. And It's also interesting because from watching that trailer, I felt like they didn't actually have to reveal that spoiler, but maybe they just wanted to tell the audience, hey, the events of Endgame matter in a certain way, and we're continuing the story. I know that a lot of people online had questions about... Um, 
you know, where was Spider-Man, what happened, how that kind of thing. So I think it's good that it that they kind of hit it straight on, but obviously they were waiting <laughs> for Endgame to come out to, to get anywhere close to getting that piece out. Um, but uh, that's not a piece that we're particularly going to dive into great depth, but um, there were a couple of pieces uh, on the last couple of weeks that we wanted to talk about, one of which is the trailer for It Part 2. Uh, chapter 2, I believe, they're calling it. Witness the end of It. <laughs> Was that the tagline? That is the tagline. And actually, interestingly, there were, uh, that that was, because uh, obviously this is a highly anticipated trailer, there were billboards out all over LA announcing the trader release on Thursday. So it's not, I don't think it's the first time that I've seen a billboard for a trader release, but they certainly were um, getting a lot of stuff out there to get people excited. That's so funny because I, I work from home, so I'm completely not aware of what billboards are around. Yeah, they tend to be in a higher concentration around the studios of the people who are releasing the film. That's funny. Um, yeah, but I was really, really impressed with the It Chapter 2 trailer, which if you haven't seen it, it's um, kind of structured around this just this one scene from the film where um, Jessica Chastain, who plays Beverly from the original film, she's all grown up now, obviously, and she's visiting her old apartment. Yes, And there's this old woman who lives there kind of invites her in for tea and then as the scene slowly goes on she realizes there's something kind of off about this old woman but you know what they say about Derry? Hmm. no one who dies here ever really dies and it just gets kind of more and more unsettling and then the whole scene in the trailer is almost two and a half minutes long i feel like it's definitely at least two minutes long which is unusual because trailers are usually no more than two and a half minutes but it does a really good job of just setting the mood and the whole tone of the film it's very very unsettling are you still his little girl beverly are you And I kind of thought it could have just ended at the end of that scene, but there's also a kind of a more traditional section afterwards, which has title cards and montages of the scenes in the movie and really big epic music. And of course, you see um, Pennywise from the original film. There aren't so many trailers where they just focus on a scene and it just feels really slow, but I thought it worked really well. Yeah, it's a strategy that kind of comes from digital, uh, as you kind of realize that as people see things online, they kind of connect more to faces and get drawn in by stories. So you'll see a lot of pieces online where it is kind of, you know, a scene that kind of plays out with a bit of kind of montage after it. And I think that works really well for this. You know, people don't care about scale and things like that. People care about characters and stories and and you can get really invested in a scene. Ideally, a scene with a kind of turn, like obviously this has quite a big turn, but then in a way, any scene in a movie should have a big turn because that's just kind of good... uh, good storytelling that's interesting so you're saying there are other digital ads that are centered around uh, scenes and then they kind of go to the more traditional spot sort of structure yeah because obviously we're kind of making more and more now um, and the thing about digital is you can kind of target different pieces to different kind of people so you might have whereas you know you've got one or two kind of main a trailers for a movie you might have five to ten digital pieces that kind of try and hit different audiences show off different scenes it used to be that a couple of years ago they would just release a clip but now it's kind of a clip that's maybe been edited down a bit maybe it's kind of cut in a slightly more trailer kind of way but it's still kind of focusing on this one moment um i don't know if that was necessarily the intention with it but it definitely achieves that effect that's really interesting 
Also, you have the thing with it where it's a sequel and how do you approach a sequel? You know, you don't want to reveal too much. You want to ask questions, which is something we've talked about before, which is something that you're able to do with a kind of quicker montage of, of moments without necessarily going into detail after that first scene. Yeah, that is really interesting about the digital ads because, yeah, like you said, they used to just release clips online. So then you would see on pages like comingsoon.net, it says trailer one, two, and three. And then here's clip one, two, and three. But now they're actually customizing those. That's very interesting. I guess I'm not exposed to too many digital ads online, but I can totally see how the sort of old approach or still current approach of TV spots being customized according to when that TV spot's going to play on TV and what show it's going to play with is also going digital. Yeah, but you also have to kind of adapt what you are doing. You know, people need to, you know, you can kind of reframe things in a certain way and and really focus on a human face. So people kind of identify it because that's kind of what people are used to looking at online. Obviously, people tend to watch videos initially mute. So you can have a kind of call to action to like, hey, you might want to unmute your phone to watch this ad or you have kind of slightly more interesting graphical subtitles because often people, and I've done that as well. I've watched traders online and just read the subtitles. Actually, the thing about faces, is that also why a lot of trailers have the actor introduce them, like the Tom Holland thing? Like, I think um, Will Smith has introduced a lot of his trailers when they came out. All right, I'm excited to present to you right now the world premiere of the Gemini Man trailer. And also that's another thing where, you know, they can record 10 of those intros and target it to, hey, Instagram, hey, Snapchat, hey, Facebook, hey, America, hey, uh, hey, England, you know, even down to theater chains. Actually, this kind of segues well into another thing we were talking about, which was the quote-unquote film leak of Detective Pikachu. If you don't know about this, if you go on YouTube and you search Detective Pikachu full movie, you'll see a clip which is uh, an hour and 40 minutes long, and it starts off, has the Warner Brothers logo and the the Pokemon Company logo, and then uh, the movie just starts, and then what happens after that? (laughs) Yeah, something amazing happens after that. Um... I think uh, Pikachu dances for an hour and 30 minutes. It's actually probably like an hour and 38 minutes. I, I went back to check because I wanted to see just how long this clip of the movie was. And it's... And you watched the whole thing. <laughs> I just had to make sure there wasn't anything else in the in the, the video. It's on loop. I mean, that, that kind of goes back to what we were just talking about in terms of the personalities and the celebrities kind of introducing these things because something that they really focused on with the Detective Pikachu campaign was Ryan Reynolds, you know, in a kind of post-Deadpool world. You've got Ryan Reynolds. He's known for this kind of meta, self-referential humor. Uh, And I think they really lent into that with Detective Pikachu. And that, I think, was the pinnacle for it. I think it went to, you know, it was up in the trending YouTube chats. And it was such a, for me, it kind of felt like an insider kind of thing. You know, I'm used to seeing films with those kind of watermarks on. I don't know. It was just a kind of perfect end to that campaign. Yeah, to me, it felt kind of unusually smart. I just feel like sometimes, or a lot of times in advertising, I see them trying something where you can tell where they're coming from, but they're just totally not doing it in a way that would work. Kind of maybe like the ASMR Super Bowl commercial. I mean, maybe it did great for the ASMR crowd, but everyone else's reaction was just kind of cringy and like, what was that? You didn't know about this? No, I think it was a Budweiser commercial. Um, So they had, who do they have? They had an actress or singer, and then they did the ASMR, like, whispering to the microphone thing. And, like, I don't know, maybe they tapped the microphone or something like that. Did they call out ASMR, or was it just kind of done? They just did it straight and assumed that you knew what they were doing. But, I mean, ASMR is, you know, it's bigger than... uh, Anyone probably would thought it ever would be, but it's still such a niche thing that 
I think most people are still thinking, what the heck is going on? Yeah, do we need to explain that term? Do you actually know what it sounds for? I don't remember what it's it audio stands. sensory something? something like that. But basically, it's this condition that people have, or I don't know if you call it condition. It's just something that people have where certain stimulus gives a tingly sensation in the person's head. So it could be stuff like kind of something tapping against a microphone, or or the sound of people whispering, or like crinkling plastic, that sort of thing. There's a lot of you go to Twitch, you search ASMR, you'll find a lot of those things and for people who aren't into it it's just kind of um an odd thing yeah it's weird i've I've heard about that recently and then i've also heard about i think it's misophonia or something like that which is like actual like physical discomfort at the sound of people eating oh which is a real thing (laughs) which segues perfectly into talking about the trailer for sonic (laughs) yeah so if you don't know there's a sonic the hedgehog live action film that's coming out and a trailer released in the end of April, which was the first good look that people got of what Sonic looked like, which there was a leaked image, but with leaked images, you're never sure if it actually is accurate. Well, there were a couple of posters and, and people were already kind of, there was already a, 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 a groundswell of kind of discomfort and, oh, is this what they're doing with the character? Yeah, I'm sure there was a petition or two by the time the trailer dropped. But so the trailer, I was rewatching it and if, so if you ignore certain things about this trailer, I think it's well done. And the things that you have to ignore are the character design of Sonic, which just looks totally, totally different from what Sonic looks like in the games. And then their music choice, which is Gangsta's Paradise, which I, I don't... I'm trying to reverse engineer what the thinking was behind this song. So they're kind of going from the 90s angle and... I guess because Sonic has always been kind of the edgier video game character, maybe that's what they're going for. I think the justification is, yeah, Sonic is a rebel. Sonic is a gangster. It's also that kind of cue where it comes in and ideally it's kind of iconic and, and everyone everyone loves it. And um, yeah, it's interesting actually the Gangster's Paradise because that was one of the things where there was a kind of backlash when the trailer came out. And in a way it kind of, it was interesting because it exposed the trailer industry because there was a lot of kind of discourse of like what crazy trailer editor is pulling out, you know, 90s jams on their iTunes. Yeah, and I always wonder about the efficacy of having a song from a certain era I mean, 1995 was a while ago. So whenever I see something like this happen in advertising, I'm just thinking, okay, this is ostensibly for, I guess, my generation, but I don't like this. So then, I mean, but also, because Sonic also still plays, you know, it's for kids because it's, it's animated characters. So might be. I also think as an editor, that might be part of the justification. You know, it pays for kids. He's an animated character. Maybe it plays a bit young and it's part of a point of aging it up slightly, but in a way, maybe not hitting either target. I guess my question, though, is if you're in your 20s or younger, what associations do you have with the song Gangsta's Paradise, if any? So I, I'm really curious about that. I mean, I, I'm not that age, so I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. I actually think from a from a kind of practical point of view, um, like you say, I think I think the trailer's actually cut pretty well. There's some good moments of accents in there. Um, there's some good action. I think actually a lot of the reaction, the negative reaction to the trailer, other than the music, is actually a kind of what we talked about before, seeing through the trailer to the movie and, and a kind of reaction to that character design in the movie in general, kind of like a, a Ghostbusters um, 20, whatever that was, a kind of female Ghostbusters reaction, kind of looking through the trailer to the movie and saying, you know, this isn't for me. But actually the thing about Gangster's Paradise for me, in a way, 
it works really well for those kind of big accenty moments and then you'll get something like in the middle they play out a Jim Carrey joke for quite a long time and it kind of the cue kind of vamps underneath it for a long time and you realize that actually there aren't a huge amount of parts to that song and it kind of overstays its welcome what the are you in charge here yes i am no my wrong i'm in charge I think there's probably two reasons for playing out that Jim Carrey moment. One, that it's Jim Carrey doing Jim Carrey things, and, and that's a great sell. And also, probably, they had kind of less finished effect shots at this stage, so they needed to kind of focus on the actors. But there's a few times there, there's that point where I think the cue kind of potentially outstays its welcome a little bit. Um, and then there's a point where he says something like, whatever this creature is, and they kind of drop out for a couple of accents of the queue, and at that point you you kind of feel like the editor is reaching for different parts of the queue to do something different and, and has kind of run out of music. Our job is to secure it, neutralize it, see what makes it tick. Yeah, I, I really sympathized with the editor for this trailer because, like you said, they definitely cut in and out of the song and had just extended out and it just feels really unnatural uh, when the, once they're just really, really stretching it. I think about this all the time whenever a popular song is used in a trailer because, you know, they're not designed like trailer songs to have dialogue kind of fit into pockets. So I forget which movie it was. There was a trailer that used Under Pressure and they, they actually just looped something in there and it just sounded so, so unnatural because it's just, it's just such an iconic song. It's really obvious when they do that sort of thing. Nice and We can't give up now. Stop the war. There doesn't have to be a war. Of course there does. Otherwise, how would we win it? I mean, that is that is actually a, one of the problems with these things. You know, you get a cue, something that's kind of quick and rhythmic, it's a bit easier, but something where people are so kind of used to, to hearing that cue and you've got to music edit it, it's actually quite difficult. I think um, they bumped into it with um, on the Kingsman sequel where they had kind of My Way and they had to do a music edit in there, but, you know, everyone knows where that cue's going, so they had to kind of cover it up. And part of using these old cues is going out to kind of trailerize those cues to get library companies to kind of build on those cues to, to kind of ramp up the production or in fact help with what we're talking about kind of extend it and and make you more able to kind of drop in and out and kind of build up to the back end so there's a lot of that kind of work that's going on now to support those older cues i just want to talk a little bit more about the just editing of this trailer i think they do a really good job of teasing out sonic so it just starts off with this highway and then the you see this blue kind of streak go by and then the the radar goes off it says like 760 miles per hour and then you see the like this electric hair and then they have the the paramount logo with the sonic rings at this point it's still totally fine i think they're doing a good job because um obviously you see sonic the hedgehog trailer on youtube you're thinking oh my god what does sonic look like and they're they're playing with your expectations and then they just have this like pov shot of like whizzing through the forest and they just they keep it really really they wait a really long time to actually show his face uh and then actually the first shot of him the eyes don't actually look that bad they look pretty angular like in the video game i think the the big thing with the the character design aside from maybe being too tall is that the eyes just totally don't really look like sonic yeah the the director has now come out and said that they will uh that they're gonna 
redesign it. Um, and I think the eyes and the, the face might be the thing that they kind of focus on. But I agree with you, like in terms of the way it's revealed, I love the Paramount logo with the rings. I think that's a great touch. I love the sound effects. I think there's a few throughout, even on the end card, like those iconic things. You know, the cop car is Green Hill Zone. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For someone who grew up with Sonic, like, you know, they're, they're hitting the kind of the, the right references and it feels quite reverential, um, but obviously not for everyone. <laughs> Yeah, and then, like, it's about halfway through is when you finally get a really good look at Sonic. Um, and then I think it's just, just just the character design just makes everything so much less appealing. But if you just, just pretend for a second that it looks like the Sonic that you're thinking of, all this other stuff basically works. Like Sonic jumping out of the truck and then uh, kind of dashing through Robotnik's uh, vehicle and then, like, the, the other robot vehicle coming out. Like, these are all the Sonic things that people are expecting to see and hoping to see. Uh, it's just just the character design and the music is just kind of bewildering. And then also they have the, the title cards, which, what do they do? Uh, every hero has a genesis. Ha ha ha. Yeah, actually, that I forgot about that. That's a really interesting uh, thing in light of... Um We've been talking recently about kind of international traders and domestic and the, and the difference. And uh, in the UK, where I'm from, Genesis was a Mega Drive. Oh, that's interesting. So every hero, every hero has a Mega Drive doesn't quite ring the same. It'd be really interesting to see kind of what they're playing in the UK. And I think you kind of can get away with Genesis because it has that second meaning. Um, and also it has... Yeah, you know, obviously has the it has its kind of inherent meaning of like it's the genesis of the character, and also I think again the genesis slash Mega Drive is so iconic that people will probably know what you mean. Yeah, and then the, the rest of it's just kind of uh, the sort of montage you would expect, and then they have the button with Robotnik looking much more like he does in the games because um, that's also oh yeah that's a kind of strange button actually that's interesting it's kind of a glitchy kind of end after the the last card isn't it yeah yeah I don't know why because the actual button is the the um I've got a baby in a bag which is brilliant and hilarious and yeah I don't I don't know why the glitchiness but that that's a good way to end in terms of you know you see Jim Carrey at the beginning and you're thinking well he does he sort of looks like him and then there's give it to you oh by the way he's totally just gonna look one-to-one like he does in the game as as much as you can but editorially i mean i do i do think this piece is is strong i think there's there's obviously gangster's paradise is a choice and it was a it was a gamble and and according to the internet it hasn't paid off but i still think you know there's there's i think what we might be bumping into here as we said before is people kind of looking past the trailer and and seeing the movie and the character design and reacting to that yeah and that's that's also a reason that we wanted to do this podcast is because we see all the critiques about trailers and they're usually not about the trailer they're usually about the content of the trailer and as trailer nerds we're people who have thoughts about editing structure and that sort of thing we're saying like why aren't people talking about this this is actually pretty good uh ignore x y and z but you know just just look at the structure yeah, definitely. I'm going to apologize now that you might hear my cat sporadically throughout this. You already have, because I'm not going to re-say everything. It's fine. They're, get, they're special guest cats. I know. It's part of my brand. Uh, okay, so we want to talk about, and it's, it'll be interesting, because uh, I think we've we've basically touched upon it um, in talking about both it and Sonic trailer trends. And there's something that I'd like to bring up as we start talking about this. Um, and it's something that was flagged up to me a couple of days ago, and it is a trailer trend cliche of record, record goes down on jukebox in bar. 
oldie timey song starts playing um and uh there's a real reaction to it online it seems very specific but um captain marvel trailer did it jurassic world bad times at the el royale the it trailer does it that we just talked (laughs) about sonic does it although obviously it's a cassette um and i'm going to defend it because i think there's a reason for it and as an editor anything that you can do to ground a cue or something like that in the world and and kind of justify something or do something that kind of you know brings the music into the into the film you know ideally musically we'd like to be using cues that are of the film anyway sometimes that's hard i think i've said before because it's so early on in the process i don't know what the music will be but um anytime i see a record player <laughs> i mark it and i say yep all right, at some point, I'm going to use it. That's also good because it basically does double duty because it's saying, hey, we didn't just pick this for the trailer to make it sound cool. This is actually part of the actual flavor of the film. And now that you say it, I totally can think of seeing records and tape players and that sort of thing being turned on in trailers and uh, going from there. But I don't really consider that a trend, I suppose. But maybe a trope? (laughs) Is there, is there a difference? Is there a difference between a trend and a trope? We'll find out. We're answering the big questions here on the cutdown. Oh, that's too big a question. Um, but yeah, so yeah, trailer trends. There are a lot of them. And I think they just, I mean, they just go way, way back. Because, well, first, I mean, the you go back to the early history of trailers. They're probably all about the same because they're only made by one company for the longest time. So uh, I wouldn't really call it a trend if just one person making all the trailers they're like okay well we're gonna have big title cards and have really long scenes from the film and the trailers are all going to be three to five minutes long i wouldn't necessarily call that a trend but well i think it's kind of indicative or in a way of you know because you can think back to you know the 50s and 60s and you imagine these trailers of, of you know the blob and the thing from outer space and these big title cards and and that kind of extreme music and then you think through through hitchcock and then even in the kind of 70s with alien mm. um we've kind of moved on to to a slightly more kind of interesting things sonically um obviously then you had a big kind of uh raft of voiceover trailers through the 80s and and I think, actually, though, uh, even the 60s and 70s, there was voiceover, but it was a totally different kind of voiceover. It was kind of the, like, this is a thing that's happening, you know, Clint Eastwood. This is about a movie about a couple of killers. Harry Callahan. And a homicidal maniac. And then, like, you have these scenes that play out for, like, 20 or 30 seconds long. It's just a totally different voiceover that was still narrating what's going on, but in a different way than the 80s uh, Don Fontaine sort of style. A New York cop, John McLean, has come to see his wife. Instead, he's going to have to save her. Yeah, voiceover, I think, has got exponentially shorter through time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, from those really verbose to, to kind of even you know in in by current standards, those traders of the eighties are are actually quite wordy, um, and it's a shame really because as an editor, voiceover is such a kind of succinct way of getting your point across. You know, you, you can say something in voiceover, you know, like he's a cop on a mission to save this person, but now there's going to be a problem is a lot easier than trying to connect those moments with dialogue. 
Well, the thing that I was thinking about in terms of trends is that you could kind of think of it as just the whole industry learning the craft as they go along. Because like you say, working with voiceover is one of the easiest ways to tell the story because you're literally telling the story. It's a lot harder to go through the film and then pick out the dialogue that will tell the story for you because that dialogue isn't necessarily designed to do that. Whereas you just say, this happens and this happens. I kind of liked the idea that it's a sign that uh, people became better edit- at editing trailers that voiceover fell out of tr- uh, favor. Yeah, also, and then people kind of rebelling against kind of what's gone before and striving to do something different. I think that's, you know, that's why traders kind of evolve um, and that's why there are these kind of marked trends. And the other thing I was thinking was, I wonder if throughout history there have been correlations between trailer trends and then someone making fun of it and then it falling away kind of like comedian style where it's like okay we're gonna call it voiceover and trailers okay i guess we're not doing that anymore in a world where laughter was king uh no in a world jack what do you mean no in a world whereas now which i'm skipping ahead a little bit we'll go back but right now the trend is kind of waning which is the the dark sad cover version of a song which you know it started with the social network and it really didn't happen much after that but then just at a certain point it was like open the floodgates everyone's doing it and i think we're definitely getting tired of it at this point you're starting to get people posting online saying okay enough with this yeah, the Maleficent trailer came out um, a couple of weeks ago and it used uh, a kind of slow cover. And at that point, I kind of thought, OK, yeah, no, this is this kind of feels like potentially we've kind of moved past this. There's actually um, on Twitter, there's a uh, there's someone called Trader Cover Versions. Um, and they said that there were 55 Trader Cover Versions used in 2015, 120 in 2018. <laughs> Um, so, you know, you've gone up almost double in a couple of years, but that was kind of propelled by actually a big move from it being um, theatrical films to uh, to kind of series and streaming doing it. So it's kind of like series and streaming take the trends of traders, of theatrical traders from a couple of years ago and start doing it. Um, and I'd, I'd say it's probably had, it's probably dropped off for theatrical. Yeah, and I actually noticed uh, fairly recently, I was watching um, a video game trailer for a game called, I think, Fade to Silence. I was watching it on a stream. It was a cover version of Where's My Mind by the Pixies. And someone in the chat was saying, oh, yeah, this cover is not as good as the one that was used for this Netflix movie called The Innocence. And then I go back to the watch the trailer for The Innocence. It's the exact same cover, but almost exactly a year before this video game trailer came out. And I think once you're reusing dark covers, then it's kind of a sign that things are maybe not trending upwards. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, though, because the thing is, it does work. And the people on the internet who are kind of noting that it was on two different trailers are actually quite rare. And and the average person who only sees one trailer a year won't kind of flag it up. And if it kind of works and it tells a story in the best way and it kind of is cool and gets people's attention, then ideally you would try to do something new. But I think if the queue works, then it works. Yeah, that's another thing that's good to remember is that like the internet is not representative of the entire world necessarily, especially when it comes to really diehard fandoms. You know, not everyone is watching all the trailers. Some people only see them in theaters because they're just not seeking them out. I think actually, though, the the trend sort of we're going towards is just using just old songs like the like the gangster's paradise saying okay you know we did this slow cover thing but you know actually just using the actual song 
would probably work too. Yeah, I think kind of post-Guardians, Guardians was a big kind of progressor of that. Suicide Squad did it. Um, and again, I think both of those were also kind of doing what I was talking about earlier, which is kind of trailerized and, and kind of beefing up that 70s uh, cue. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a real, it's something that, that would have never been done when I started, you know, 10 plus years ago. Another trend that maybe some people might have noticed is a sound effects trend where the music will drop out and then you have like three or four really quick sound effects. Maybe like it'll be like gun loading sound effects. So it'll be like, you know, epic music, then I got enemies. I got enemies. And then it'll go back to the music and then it'll cut back out to that. You can see it in um the new King Kong film did that. It's in a whole lot of other trailers too, but I wouldn't call it nearly as pervasive as the the cover music. I don't know. I think there is a real trend now for this kind of percussive rhythmic editing, which is what you're talking about. I don't think it's just in the kind of dropouts, but it is in kind of accents between lines. There'll be a few. I mean, if you look at the most recent Hobbs and Shaw trailer, I think that that trailer is three minutes long and every single action that someone does is on a beat and has 10 sound effects to do with it. And I think it's pretty great. I think that's a really good example of it. I think the Mission Impossible Fallout trailer um, that had uh, an Imagine Dragons remix on it, someone I know described it as kind of in-the-pocket editorial, and it's absolutely right. It kind of propels you along and and not a kind of beat goes unaccented. And in a way, it kind of stems back, I think, to kind of rhythmic things like Edgar Wright's work. You know, everything, every piece for Baby Driver was very, it wasn't, it was guncocks and things like that, but it was guncocks and gear sticks and, and things like that. And these really clunky kind of, in a way, it kind of also goes back to the kind of record drop that we were talking. It's these kind of tangible things that have an immediate kind of impact on people. But I think it's definitely identifiable as a trend. And I think it's probably kind of one of the most recent and pervasive trends. So I think people will start to move towards it. And you look at the kind of Godzilla campaign that's kind of come out. You actually have these kind of slow, beautiful, emotional, kind of intense, dramatic kind of pieces. And I think that there's already a kind of move away from that. What we are witnessing here is the return of titans but it depends on the project right actually we can go back a little bit to a trend from before i had a friend who is he wanted me to wanted us to talk about just the idea that there are so many more sound effects in a trailer which you know trailers weren't always like that between the 90s and 2000s is when trailers just started getting a lot more sound effects intensive that's around when you start using uh, avid to edit trailers with as opposed to being on steenbeck and having film and maybe three tracks of audio but even if you have that it's still literally on physical tape in front of you so you know you're probably gonna get a really good music cue and then have things sync up to that but the idea of having multiple sound effects or even just one sound effect on top of that it's just so much more to keep track of not that i've done a ton of film editing i've only done a little bit from school and then it just kind of created that kind of divide between having you know a good cue like uh, or fortuna or something like that and then just having like a rise before every single big moment and then having a hit and then having a whoosh with everything yeah it's kind of definitely built up i think when i started there were eight audio tracks in in avid and i think they were mono so even if you had stereo effects you had to have them in mono and then maybe track lay them over a couple of sequences at a later point and now uh it's basically infinite yeah so you know if i'm cutting a trailer now i'll have 20 layers of effects and then like 
if I've got the stems for a music cue, then that's another like 10 to 15 um, tracks there. Yeah, I started around the same time too. So I remember yeah, having Avid Media Composer and seeing eight of just the most jam-packed audio tracks that I've ever seen before. And then finding out when the trailer's finishing that there's actually an audio mix down in there. And then having to f- track down the original mix down, which means there's another four or five sound effects in there. And if the editor was good, then they would say, oh, it's it's here. You can put it in here for tracks. And if they're not, then uh, you got to play um, digital archaeology and try to find it. Yeah, I think actually, I mean, sound effects is a really interesting thing because, you know, again, 10 to 15 years ago, when I was getting into the industry, there were only a, a few companies doing kind of these ambient sound effects, things like hits, anvil hits, low hits, cavernous like booms and whooshes, where it's a kind of like ramp up to a hit um, that will generally bring a card on um, risers where like you were saying like you know where it's the end of the queue and you've got this kind of like oh, kind of thing like that and now there's a huge amount and I think you know I think people are always trying to do something new and not just kind of resort to the same whoosh that they've used even like five times in the same trailer let alone in other trailers right i'm guilty of reusing a lot of my sound effects just because they sound really good (laughs) yeah i think that oh every editor definitely has their go-to whoosh i think there's some suckbacks by a company called moss landing that are so a suckback is kind of like a rise it's like a basically if you imagine a hit and you you look at the waveform and it kind of dispels and then if you imagine that reverse then it's this kind of like whoop um, and that is probably in every trailer that's finished over the last 10 years. Yeah, I'm a big fan of, I think that's from Sound Designer Toolkit. It's called like Whoosh Windmill. That's I use that one all the time. Um, actually, this is a good time to talk about the other trend, which kind of uh, sits across music and sound, which is the Inception sound, which that started a, a whole era of trailers that have giant bombs which i think you know that's definitely fallen out of favor it's been several years at this point but i just feel like that sound effects companies and music companies are still making them though it's just maybe something that's just kind of to have in your arsenal but you won't necessarily structure the entire trailer around it i don't know when was the last time you think you heard a inception bomb in a trailer uh i think they're still in there i think they're i think kind of isolated out on their own i think people are very kind of wary of that inception thing i I think you were talking about trailer trends that's stop when people become a people outside of the industry become aware of them i think the inception bra is definitely you know the point where the inception bra became a button on a website but i think they're still there because it's musically it's a good kind of there are a lot of music cues that kind of inherently do that anyway you know there's a big kind of hit which is it can be a hit it can be a brahm it can be a, a swell and then you have a chunk of dialogue that's important and then you kind of you're moving on to the next thing and i think structurally it's actually just a really useful thing so even though they're not isolated like they were i think it's definitely something that's still used and useful yeah and it's just it is another thing that is just easy to edit with because it's like well clearly you're going to put the biggest shot on this sound just anything that will add restrictions just makes the whole process easier the funny thing though is i'm not sure how many people realize that the inception bomb is not actually from inception like the score because the music from the trailer was custom made to kind of like mimic the inception score but actually it's like the trailerized version basically yeah i'd like to feel that um hans zimmer was probably composing the score at the same time and they if you watch inception clearly that's a kind of concept that's very much built into it so i feel like it must have stemmed from hans zimmer to be so kind of close to the uh the, uh, the film score. 
but then also you know that kind of points out a thing that actually you know if you if you were using the inception score maybe the inception score isn't the best thing to cut a trailer for because it's designed for a film right whereas a composer who's kind of taking it and doing it in a more trailer friendly way with kind of peaks and troughs and stop downs and kind of inbuilt sound design um that we're talking about is is probably more useful however that Hans Zimmer cue from uh, Interstellar, where the uh, they're trying to kind of dock mm-hmm. with the space station, is an amazing cue and should be on a uh, should be on a trailer soon. But actually, that's a trend that we've moved away from as well. You know, um, twenty years ago, most traders were using cues from other movies um, because there was less breadth of amazing library production music that there is now. Uh, so people would kind of use scores of other. And it's been a while now, I think, since I've seen a trailer um, that used the score of another movie. That's true, because um, I think there's like sort of invisible trend that people wouldn't really know is going on unless you're in the industry, which was there's a production music library called Immediate Music, and they released this album called Themes for Orchestra and Choir, I think it's called. Yes. Yeah, there were a couple of albums, yeah. That was like the first one where the trailer music company just hired a chorus to just record choral, like, O Fortuna-style trailer music. And that was around um, the, the 2010s, maybe? Like, no, that was that was way back. I think that was about 2005. I remember um, The Island, Michael Bay's The Island, definitely used one of those. People will do anything to survive. And it was interesting, actually, because it was a real thing that people moved away from for about five years at the point where those cues then became the preserve of reality TV. <laughs> and that kind of orchestra choir, O Fortuna thing was on the X Factor. It was on American Idol. Um, and I think people kind of consciously moved away from it. So you didn't hear choirs for kind of five to ten years. And actually, I think that's coming back now after a couple of years of kind of hybrid orchestral things that it's OK to bring the choir back now. It's kind of invisible because it sounds like something that would be from a movie, but it just it was made for a trailer. Like uh, I look at my old, I used to have um, mix CDs for with trailer music, and I had a lot of early ones which had like uh, the Baz Luhrmann Romeo and Juliet and stuff like that. But then the, these production music trailer albums came out, and people probably just assumed they were film scores, but other people knew that they were just made for trailers. But it isn't just music. Um in terms of uh, trailer trends, I think I think the the fact that we have so many kind of points when talking about trends that are musical just kind of outlines the importance of music to what we do. I always say there aren't many things we can impose on a film as editors. Uh, music obviously is is a huge one. Kind of the copy, the graphics that we can do are the kind of the most obvious ones. But music is such an important part to the tone and the structure of what we do. I think it's it's probably the most important thing, and so that's why. There's so much innovation and things associated with that. Yeah. But there are other things that are that are kind of trailer trends and, and things that we're moving on from now. Um, I think I do a lot of kind of comedy and animation. And I think you see, you're seeing less and less out of context bits in comedy and animation trailers. I think the current trend is to kind of play things out. You know, if you look at the, the trailers for the, the last couple of Despicable Me films and the Minions films, they're just basically scenes for two minutes uh, I think the same thing for the Grinch you know you get TV spots it used to be kind of like here's a thing and here's a thing and and action 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 and actually now it's kind of two big long jokes because kind of similar to what we were talking about at the very start you know people kind of connect more with living in scenes and, and living in jokes and giving everything kind of time to breathe and I think that's a real kind of trend now uh, similarly you see it at the end of trailers 
it used to be that kind of every every trailer dropped out for a huge effect shot. You know, it was the kind of it was the big rise, and then there was the big kind of like kind of kind of bass drop, and then you've got that. I'm I'm thinking back to maybe the uh, trailer for the second Transformers film, where you get um, someone kind of smashing smashing through a freeway. this incredible shot that you've you've never seen before and i think that was a trend for a couple of years and and now i i feel like that trend is kind of dropping out for a huge bit of performance um it's a couple of years ago now but the trailer for joy i love because at the end you it does the same thing it kind of builds to a crescendo and you come out for 10 to 15 seconds of of jennifer lawrence just kind of intensely performing this bit never speak on my behalf about my business again i think that's all i have for trailer trends do you have anything else no i think that's uh i think that's kind of me okay so we have a couple emails actually uh this first email we have is from trailer track which uh trailer track is a twitter account uh which keeps track of trailers <laughs> oh it does it forensically as well it, it um it's amazing it looks at um when the trailers get rated and they go out to the various rating companies for you know you can get kind of durations and and kind of it's got the real kind of inside scoop on what's uh on what's coming out yeah and they use all that information to say okay based on when this trailer has been rated and all that sort of thing is probably going to drop you know on friday and i haven't really dug into exactly what they do for all their analysis but i just know that they're so accurate that they have fans who are just constantly at replying them saying is it coming now is it coming now like no not yet not yet i think that the day that the it trailer was released i think there was a a a sigh of relief because i think that had been kind of hotly anticipated for about six months um but yeah they wrote in said uh hi rick and derek hope you guys are well saw the announcement about the podcast on the newsletter which they're talking about my trailer newsletter and just dropping a line to say congrats on the first two episodes really fantastic job and something that we do really need out there a more professional perspective on all this from within the industry uh let me know if there's any way i could help we'll definitely be sure to share it on trailer tracks twitter when you guys formally launch the podcast next week take care and have a great rest of your weekend yeah i don't know about professional but we'll uh, we'll try our best we have touched work that has then shipped so if you call it professional then sure we'll take it um, we also got an email from richard walsh which i won't read this whole thing but he, richard was writing in about the spoilers episode because he was saying that uh he thought that the first 20 seconds of the atomic blonde trailer felt like it's uh, really spoiled that scene in the movie because the first 20 seconds of that trailer is the end of the film. Uh, and you kind of know that when you're watching Atomic Blonde because uh, in that opening scene, she has brown hair. So it's like, oh, wow, this is something that hasn't happened in the movie yet. Okay, this is probably from the end. Yeah, it's kind of, it's really interesting. It's something we didn't really touch on is that experience of watching a movie in the in the theater and kind of ticking off the, the trailer shots. And it's something we touched on last time as well is when you got those shots that aren't then in the film, you kind of feel maybe potentially a bit kind of shortchanged. You're saying, where is Tom Cruise driving a semi truck down a wooded road from the fall, uh, Mission Impossible Fallout trailer? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I totally forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. And again, as I said last time, we try not to do that. But um, I think with Atomic Blonde, yeah, clearly that was an issue that the film company and the editor decided wasn't enough of an issue. But yeah, it's you've got to be wary of affecting people's enjoyment of the film. I can see why they use that scene, because it's it's a really short scene and you kind of want to go with a self-contained scene for 
uh, like cold open, like you have the sort of the little bit of suspense and then the the payoff. And I'm, obviously they, they cut it up for the trailer. I think Avengers did uh, actually did a really good job of what we're talking about there. I think uh, if you watch Endgame, most of the trailers didn't contain much footage from outside of the first 15 minutes of the film. And I, I think obviously you know you didn't have to do a huge amount to sell that movie it was always going to be uh one of the biggest movies of all time but i think they did a really good job in restraining stuff and even kind of when you get down to the digital and the tv spots i think they waited a couple of weeks to reveal a couple more shots as more and more people had seen it but they, there was a lot of restraint that went on with that campaign yeah i think that would be a fun one to talk about someday just to analyze what they showed and what they didn't show yeah, the whole campaign. Yeah, I think I really liked when last time when we went into the uh, Infinity War stuff, which shows the uh, what happened last time we um, we recorded. <laughs> right, but hopefully we're more regular now. Um, yeah, I think we're not going to go on a weekly schedule just yet. Maybe in the future, but right now we're going to shoot for every other Friday. So that's our show. If you have questions of your own, you can write us at cutdown at idlethumbs.net. We're on Twitter at CutdownCast. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at Derek underscore Lou. And I'm at Rick Thomas with a uh, no K, R-I-C. We are part of the Idle Thumbs Network, and you can go to our website at cutdowncast.com. If you like the show, please leave us a review on iTunes and tell your friends. And also a special thanks to our friends at Twisted Jukebox for our intro music. And we'll be back. Great. Thanks for listening.